Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're going to start from verse 8 and read all the way through verse 20. And as Pastor Bo was mentioning, we're starting this whole new series called Greater uh, Hope. And I think this is so appropriate for where we are right now in the context of Hong Kong and everything that we're experiencing around us. And so I believe that this is going to be the next four some weeks of just encouragement as well as just to refocus on what God is calling us to do as the church. And so I, I want to start off and ask, how many of you like scary movies? Can, can you raise your hand boldly? Amen. There's only a handful of you who like scary movies. So I think I could connect with some of you guys. Um, I loved even the psychological ones, you know, where your mind is like, oh, my God, what's going on? I, I really enjoy horror and scary movies. Um, you go figure. But I haven't been able to watch one in a long time because my wife, she hates scary movies. And so I don't want to just go to the theater and watch it by myself. So I'm just like, okay. So I haven't really seen a scary movie for a while. And as I was thinking about why is it that I like these scary movies, I don't know. I, I like to figure out what's going to happen. Uh, I, I like to try to be surprised, I guess. But something about these scary movies that there are some of us who enjoy it, others of us, we hate it with a passion. Now, those of you who are still scared, let me just kind of help you to dissect scary movies. There's a basic rule of scary movies. So this is the way I, I think about it. If you know someone is behind the door and they're trying to scare you, and they come out and go, wow, you're like, I knew you were there. <laughs> so a lot of times the scary movies, the reason why it's so powerful or it scares us is because there are a lot of unexpected things. I wanted to show you this quick video that actually dissects a lot of the scary movies in the last 20, 30 some years. And it's a really quick video. It'll show you all the different components of a scary movie. I'm, I might have to warn you. Those of you who get scared easily, just hold on to the person's hand next to you <laughs> and just close your eyes, close your ears, whatever it takes. Because I don't want any of you to have a heart attack, all right? <laughs> but they are trying to explain and dissect for you what are the components of a scary movie. And so that we could be on the same page. All right? So let's watch this together. All right. <laughs> now that we have dissected all the horror movies the last 20-some years, if not longer, uh, I think instead of enjoying horror movies, we could say that it is we are sedentary uh, adrenaline junkies. That's who we are. We enjoy getting that little dopamine placed in our brains. But as we talk about this, I want you to think about things that you're afraid of right now in your life. It could be something dealing with your future. It could be dealing with something that are the, the unknown, like, like I said, the future, or even possibly some of the things that are threatening you at this very moment. What would happen if you were able to actually dissect some of those things that actually causes fear in your heart? 
I think we have to confess that there is something about fear that paralyzes us. And that's why it paralyzes us from loving people. Sometimes fear paralyzes us from doing the will of God. Sometimes it paralyzes us from trusting in God and living by faith. The Oxford Dictionary defines fear in this way. Listen to what it says. It says, an unpleasant emotion caused by the threat of danger, pain, or harm. If some of you are going through what I just described in this dictionary here, then I would say you are probably struggling with fear. Here's some other aspects of the word fear. A feeling of anxiety concerning the outcome of something or the safety of someone. So sometimes it deals with safety. If we don't feel very safe, there's fear that comes up. Third is avoid doing something because one is afraid. So this idea of fear, it literally hinders us from doing what we ought to do. Now, I think this is the reason why Satan loves to use fear to derail us from living purposely for the glory of God. That's why I think many of us, we get into this defensive mode, and it causes us to choose safety and security at all costs. I think the reason for this, I think, just even in my own life, is that fear almost deals with something, either something that you will lose or something that will be done to you that you do not want. So I want you to wrap your minds around that for just a moment, especially when you think about things that you're afraid of. Something that you will lose or something that will be done unto you that you don't want it to be done. I think sadly for many people, we are governed by fear rather than faith. Whether it's fear of rejection, uh, fear of failure, fear of death, and so many other fears that control us. But as Christ followers, we should not fear because our lives are, is in the hands of a mighty God. We have to believe that. That's why when fear, when we think about fear, we should fear God above all other fears that we have in our lives. I love what Oswald Chambers said in his book, The Pilgrim's Songbook. He writes this, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. How true that is. That if you fear God and you want to honor him, you want to live for him and to please him above all other things and all other people in this world, then you have nothing to fear. And I've seen that time and time again with people who are 100% sold out to live for the glory of God. They're like fearless people. They're the ones who are willing to do things that no one else is willing to do. They're the ones who are going to some of the dangerous areas because they realize that their life is in the hands of God. They're the ones who take the risk to do things, to make an impact in society and transform the world. But too often, we don't fear God. And that's why we're controlled by fear, whatever it is for you. As we mentioned, we're starting a four-part sermon series, Greater Hope. And I think, especially with everything that's happening with the protests, with the uncertainty of the future, I think this series 
It's supposed to, I, I'm praying that it will encourage you. I'm praying that it will redirect you to focus on the things that are important. So in part one, we're going to talk about today the greater, that the greater hope that we have is that this hope is greater than the fear that we have in our lives. Part two, we're going to talk about greater than doubt, the doubts that we have. Part three, we're going to talk about greater than pressure. Some of you are feeling different pressures, whether it's from your parents, whether it's from just your spouse, whether it's from other people, colleagues. The pressure that you feel, we're going to try to address that and then talk about the hope that we have is greater than trials, the trials that we experience in our lives. The reason why I think this is so important is everything that you know about the Christmas story. And for some of you, it's going to be the first time hearing some of the Christmas account in Scripture, the birth of Jesus. If you really look at it carefully, almost every turn of the story addresses some of the things that we just mentioned. Because there was fear. There were doubts. They were wrestling through, uh, going through the trials in their lives. And we're hoping that this will be encouragement to you. So let me give you the one thing. The one thing is simply this, that God is always faithful even when we are fearful. So can we just say that together? God is always faithful even when we're fearful. So I want to talk about two specific ways in which God is always faithful even when we are fearful in our lives, especially facing some of these things that we cannot control. The first thing that I want to mention is that God, he helps us to see that he is faithful, even when we're fearful, is because God gives us his assurance, that God gives us his assurance. As we see the significance of Jesus's birth in history, we have to understand that God was sovereign and control, in control of all things. Earlier in chapter 2, if you quickly look at chapter 2, starting from verse 1, you notice that Augustus, he was the ruler of the Roman Empire at this time. And he ordered that a, a, census, a, consensus, uh, a census would be taken for taxation purposes. So that forced Joseph and Mary to now go to Bethlehem. And as many of you know, your Bible, uh, in the Old Testament, it was prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So the amazing part is God is still in control, and even in the midst of everything that's going on. He knows what's happening. He knows what's going to happen. It doesn't mean that he caused evil, because evil comes about because of choices we make, because there is evil in this one. There's something called sin. But God knows, and he can take even something that is evil for something that's good. And so we see this. They finally arrive in Bethlehem, and here's Mary. She gives birth to Jesus, and she lays him in a manger. And those of you who might not be familiar with what a manger is, it is pretty much a wooden structure where they would put food for animals to eat upon. And so that's where they had to lay him with hay because there was nowhere else for them to stay that night as Jesus was being born. This is when we come to verse 8, and I want us to read verse 8 through 14. So I'm going to read it for us. You can just kind of follow along. It says this, um, Luke chapter 2, starting from verse 8, it says this. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. 
and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's just pause here and let me explain a little bit about why it's important for us to understand that he gives us his assurance. In verses 8 through 12, in that first big section there, you see that Jesus' birth uh, announcement was made first to the shepherds. Now, when, when you begin to read the Bible, you realize that God does something really unconventional, and he does things that are outside of what we expect. Because you need to understand that shepherds during these times, the biblical times, there were people of very low social status. They weren't the wealthy. They weren't the ones who were the most popular. They weren't the people that everyone aspired to be. They were, in fact, they were despised by other people. And the reason why is because they hung out with the sheep and they were so dirty that it made them unceremonially clean. So that's why even in the religious circles, they were kind of despised. They were not within the in crowd. So I want you to think about this for a moment. Why in the world would the announcement about the birth of Jesus, who is the Savior, who's gonna, who is the Savior of the world, why would it, that announcement be made to a bunch of shepherds? And I think, once again, God is constantly trying to remind us that it's not the strong, it's not the smart, it's not the talented, nor the good-looking people that he chooses to do his will. I don't know about you, but that's very encouraging. It should be encouraging to us. He's always looking for people who are humble and available. And you'll see this time and time again all throughout the Bible. And it is at this time the angel appears to the shepherds. And we notice that they are filled with great fear. Because why? It says here, the glory of the Lord was shining upon them. So let's look at how the shepherds were reassured by the angel there's several things I want to point out to us so that we understand this. The first thing is peace. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of fear, in the midst of uncertainty, whenever God speaks his word, there's peace. You will notice the phrase, fear not. And this phrase, fear not, you'll see it all over Old Testament, and you will also see it in the New Testament in the Bible. It is to remind the people that God is greater and bigger than what they are feeling and what they are seeing like how many of us when we think about our lives and everything we've been facing so far like we get so caught up in seeing and feeling in the moment that we forget that God is still bigger than everything those of you who are at work there might be a lot of pressures to finish off the end of the year some of you have relational issues with your colleagues or maybe some of you are dealing with different things with your family with your parents, whatever it may be. Some of you may be related to school, your future. And so often, because this is our human nature, is that we tend to look at the immediate. And we make this so big that we realize that this is really nothing compared to who God is in his infinite wisdom and his infinite love. This is the reason why we always freak out. When things are scary, 
or we don't know what to do, fear begins to well up, and then from there, anxiety begins to happen, and then you start thinking about it so much, you can't even go to sleep. It's a vicious cycle. Because all you see is the here and now. And you make God so small that your problem is bigger than God, and all of us know that that is not the case. What we need is a little bit of an enlargement of our perspective so we can see God for who he really is. That's why I want to just encourage you. Some of us, we just need to get out. Get out of your apartment, your tiny little apartment. Get out of your tiny little dorm. Just get out. Because if you think about it, when you stay in the small little apartment, you think you're huge. But go out to a mountain. Go out hiking. Do something where you see oceans around you. And you just stand there and you realize how small you are. There are a lot of different places. I know it's hard in, in the island, but there are a lot of other places. If you go a little bit further out, you actually at nighttime can see the stars. To think that just one star is so much bigger than so many other things here on this earth. That you just realize, wow, like I'm not that big. I'm not that great. And we just need sometimes a recalibration of our perspective. And one of the best ways to do that is get out into nature and realize that no matter what you're struggling with and no matter what you're going through, emotionally, mentally, especially even in light of the protests and everything that's been happening, that you realize that, God, you're so much bigger, you're still in control. That phrase, fear not, is one of the probably the most repeated themes throughout this Christmas story. Luke chapter 1, verse 12 through 13 in the NIV says this. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. I want you to read the highlighted yellow with me. It says this. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been answered. So this idea, fear not. Do not be afraid. Luke chapter 1, verse 30 in the message translation. Read it in the yellow with me. It says this. But the angel assured her, Mary, you have nothing to fear. God has a surprise for you. Like, you'll see this theme of not being afraid. I know you don't fully understand, but you got to trust. Fear not. Don't be afraid. When we're able to have this sense of peace, especially as he speaks these words of truth to us, then we can remind ourselves that God, he is the only one. His words are the only things that can give us this assurance. Another thing I want you to think about, so first of all, as we're talking about how God gives us assurance, we're looking at peace. He gives us peace by comforting us, especially with the words of fear not. Another thing we'll see here is prophetic words. In verse 11, we notice that the title Christ the Lord, this phrase is in reference to the Messiah or the anointed one. Now, why is this important? Because all throughout the Old Testament, it was prophesied that this long-awaited Messiah would come. So it was a prophetic word that was given many, many years back, and now the reality of this Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, is here. You will also notice the phrase, this will be a sign to you. A lot of times that phrase, a sign, or this will be something that God will show you, It's a common prophetic reading or wording of it. So he says, how will you know? Well, there will be a Messiah who will be born in Bethlehem in a manger. And he had no beauty 
that people were drawn to him or things that will attract people to him. Everything that was talked about this Messiah, it was prophesied, and now these prophetic words are coming to pass. I want to encourage us to think about this for a moment, especially when there's fear in your heart. What are some prophetic words that God have, might have spoken to you, maybe through your prayer time, maybe it was through the word of God, some things that he says, I will, these promises, these prophetic words. Or sometimes, as you know, in our church, we believe in gift of prophecy. Maybe someone has prophesied over you and gave you some words that you're like, well, I don't really see it now, but you realize more and more this is what God is doing. So God, to assure us, not only does he speak word of peace and he says fear not, but he gives us prophetic word. And the third thing that I want you to see here is praise. In verse 13 and 14, we see that the angel and a multitude of heavenly hosts were praising God and giving God praise. I want you to think about this for a second. You're dirty. You're hanging out with sheep. You smell. Then all of a sudden, a whole angelic choir opens up in heaven. And they're like, hallelujah. I don't know. They're just, they're just singing. I don't know about you, but I'll be freaking out. And so can you imagine, here are these shepherds who were the lowest of society in the, back then at that time. And then they get this prophetic word from this angel and reassured not to be afraid. And all of a sudden, there is this chorus of glory to God in the highest and it's busting out. I will tell you this, no matter what you are facing, whatever you're going through in fear, that you will be able to have this peace to say, God, you are still in control. I think in some ways when we are struggling with fear, one of the best things you can do is to worship. Can I get a good amen to that? I know just recently in the last couple of weeks, some of us not knowing what to do, especially in light of everything that's happening in Hong Kong, you just got together just to pray. And it's not just something we just do because it's a good thing to do, but as we're coming together to worship, to pray, pray for one another, sh even share what we're feeling, like something happens to your heart. Something happens to your perspective that reminds you he's still sitting on the throne and he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords and he has all things in his hands. Why are these things important? Words of peace, prophetic words, even praise that will come from our lips. It's because it's through these things where we see the assurance it's given from God to the people. I think for many of us in this room, we are dictated by fear, the choices we make. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I think God had to do something in my heart even this past week or so, week and a half. Because as soon as uh, everything broke out and one, one university was canceled, and there were a couple other universities just kind of waiting to see what will happen. And then once another university canceled, I guess after that, it was like a domino effect. All these universities said, you know what? End of the semester, we're going to end this early. And you know what really got me kind of, I, I had to kind of repent. I had to deal with this in my own heart. But I was a little bit discouraged that so many people just went home right afterwards. 
Now, I know some of you are like, yeah, they went home, losers. What's wrong with them, you know? I'm still here. I'm still standing, you know? Now, I, I, I want to make sure that we understand just because you're here because you had nowhere else to go doesn't make you brave, okay? Let's just be clear on that. At the same time, there are people who had to go back for various reasons, which are understandable. But where I'm trying to come from is this, that there were people that I expected would at least try to work it through, pray through, but they just took off. And my thing is this. Those of you who are not local, like, for once, I'm trying to encourage you, would you just pause and realize you are so entitled and privileged that you can leave whenever you want. The local Hong Kong people, this is their home. They have no other place to go. And I'm sharing this because it was just my own struggle realizing that so many of us just decided to take off without even really thinking about the situation. Now I'm preaching to the choir because you guys are all here. And there were a, one group of people from a certain nation that all fled in mass exodus. And I will, I will not mention that country's name. And I said, thank the Lord, God called me to Hong Kong and not to that place. He did at one time. I didn't say the country name. I'm still true, true, true to my word. So I was getting discouraged. I was getting kind of like righteously angry. I was judging. I'm like, what's wrong with these wimpy people? Don't they love Jesus? And you, you know when you're like kind of walking on this road, this dangerous road, and God smacks you over the head, and you're like, whoa. And he has to, you have to like turn around. That's what God did. In the midst of feeling all that I was feeling, I realized God brought something to my mind as I was talking to somebody. And one of the things that came to my mind was this. In 1998, in this particular country, <laughs> there were riots that happened well they called them riot they weren't really protest it was like really riot and those from the chinese descent of this country if you're still thinking who are these people that just drop it just don't don't just leave it alone <laughs> just leave it alone many of them during these riots 1998 riot many of them had houses burned they were robbed some of the women were raped. There were a lot of stuff going on during that time. And what the Holy Spirit convicted me of was this. That it was during that time where a lot of these parents were freaking out because of Hong Kong situation. They were there in the midst of it, starting a new family. They were single adults. It was around that time. So they had a firsthand experience of this. And so I was thinking to myself, if you go through something that traumatic, then you hear about riots or protests, and you see these videos and these pictures, and you know, that, you know what I'm talking about? Some people can light that thing up and just make it like, oh my God, it's everywhere. 
So all my friends that contact me, oh my God, are you guys okay? I'm like, yeah. You know, just avoid Polly U, you know, uh, avoid some other places. But like, yeah, th- there are certain stations that you just have to avoid. There's certain times of the day you don't go to. So like to me, I'm not, I wasn't afraid. I wasn't like, what, what's going on? But you got to understand, coming from a background where you experienced it firsthand, you had family members who went through it, you had friends who went through it, and then you see all these pictures, images that feels like it's everywhere in Hong Kong that's like that. Of course, you'll start telling your kids, I'm going to purchase a ticket. You're coming home right now, or you got to do this. So what I'm trying to share is, in my own reflection, I realized I need to have more compassion and understanding because of what they went through. But yet, in this time of reflection, you know what God showed me? A lot of times, when our issues are not addressed, it gets passed down to the next generation. So if you have been robbed, you're going to think that everyone from that particular ethnic group, they're robbers or thieves. If you've been hurt by a guy, then you think all guys are pigs. If you've been hurt by someone in authority, then you're going to think that everyone in authority, you just try to avoid. And you perpetuate that to your next generation, to your children. That's why some of your parents who grew up in poverty, they're making it their life goal to make sure that you make all the money in the world so you will not experience what they're experiencing. Now, I'm not saying that it's not, I am not saying that it's wrong to break out of this cycle of poverty or no one in your family went to school. I'm all for that. Well, what I'm trying to say is there are times where we experience something, and out of that experience, we just then project it to either our kids or to other people, and without even thinking once, is this the will of God? What surprised me is that some of these families are Christian families, and when I hear some of the stuff that is being told to their kids, I'm thinking that is not biblical. More than anything else, we've been driven by secular or a syncretism of worldly values, and we kind of mask it and couch it in Christian terms. Nowhere in the Bible does it, does it guarantee safety. Some of you could be crossing the street and you could die. That famous actor, so good looking, such a nice Christian. He passed away filming one of the shows after working out. He was only like 35. I keep up. Some of us, we make it into a God where we're trying to preserve and try to do all this stuff and climb and amass all this money and wealth and status and do all this stuff. And be. And there's nothing wrong, once again, making money. There's nothing wrong with being healthy. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But I'm telling you right now, some of you in this room, that is your greatest pursuit, greater than God. 
and somehow you think that if I'm in control of my life, then life is going to be so much better. And I'm telling you right now, you are not in control of your life. You could die in an instant, and you have no control over it. I am not advocating recklessness where you go into the fire. you got to be wise. But I'm saying we are so governed by fear in our lives that we miss opportunities for God to do some incredible things. And this is my, I don't know if it's a complaint, I don't want to make it a complaint, but this is where it was a sober judgment. I realized that we need to raise a people in our church who will love God and live by faith more than fear. Those of you who don't know what's been going on, let me share with you from a different perspective that will maybe wake you up. About a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, we were actually praying for our church, and we realized the, the composition of the people who come to our church. We are an international church, so we're trying to reach out to many different nations. But we have one nation that is particularly represented. But anyway, uh, some of you are like, what is this nation, you know? They're probably in your life group, so just ask all what nation. Okay, focus. So we we're praying for the last year and a half, two years about the composition of our church. We had a lot of international students and a lot of international people, but we realized that our, our representation of local people, it was low. So I was trying to encourage our leaders, hey, reach out to other people, not from, well, yes, just we, we can't ban and say we have too much. We filled the quota from that nation. No more. We can't do that. We're a church. We welcome everybody. But I'm like, where are the local people? And then people will say, well, pastor, you know, this and this and that and that. But we were just praying. And as we were praying, little did we know that this protest erupts. And it is in the midst of this tremendous risk and fear that God is doing some incredible things. We still had life groups on PolyU, not on the campus because we would have been in trouble, but we went into one of the dorms. And those of us who are in PolyU, you know the story. You probably tell it better because you were eyewitnesses of it. We, we were meeting together, and then there was somebody that I didn't recognize, and so we just began to have a conversation, and we found out that uh, they were local, and they were here. And I said, oh, if you're local, why don't you go home? And they didn't want to go home because they were a little bit afraid because of the situation that was going on. So they'd rather just stay in the dorm until things quiet down. And after life group, one of the application was what? Go reach out to somebody new. So I'm like, you don't even have to pray. I go, don't even pray about that thing. It's right here. You know, sometimes like, Lord, should I talk to that person? And they're all by themselves. They're like, I don't know. Lord, tell me. Can, no, please don't misunderstand me, but you guys understand. Some, some things you don't even have to pray about. It's like red light flashing in your eyes. Do it. Do it. So a couple of our guys, they went over there, talked to this person, 
And then the roommate came down, and so that we were talking. And then we were all decided to go out to have dinner, and so they came with us. And all of a sudden, the next several meetings that we have, they came out to every single one. I'm praying that they will stick with us and come to know Christ. And just recently, this past week, some of your life group had outreaches. And I looked at some of those pictures because the leader sent it out and said, pray for us. And then they sent it after the meeting. They said, oh, we have so Praise God. God did some great things. And I looked at some of the pictures and I realized that I didn't know a good handful of them in the multiple life groups. Now, I can't distinguish sometimes a local from a non-local. But I was looking carefully as they were sharing praises. They said, oh, we had a lot of new people and many of them were local Hong Kong. What is it that I'm trying to share? The very thing that we were praying for for the last year and a half to two years. That God in his infinite wisdom decided to use a protest. To answer the prayer that we've been praying. Because everyone is gone. Except for the locals. This is their home. They can't go off to a faraway place and feel secure. That's why many of these locals are going through emotional and mental anguish. This This is not what they remember growing up. This is not what they want to see. That's why many of them are feeling hopeless. Many of them are feeling afraid of what's going to happen. And so all I can say is this. God, if you are using something as a protest for a greater purpose so that our church can have more local people so we can reach out to more local Hong Kong people, then I say praise God. Can I get a good amen? Amen. It's that kind of perspective. And I was thinking about a lot of people with pastors. Should we? Can we? Should we still have life groups? I'm like, hey, yes, <laughs> yes. Let's have life groups. Let us continue to meet. Because in Hebrews it says, "Do not stop meeting, as some are in the habit of doing, but continue to meet." So let's meet. Now, I said, this is my calm. I I wasn't very calm, but you could tell. I'm like, yeah, we're meeting. And because, listen to me, because the situation was frightful and fearful. But because we're not afraid because God is with us. Can I get an amen to that? And we do what we're called to do. And we do it with prayer and dependence on God, not being foolish. So sometimes we would have to meet in the afternoon and not in the evening because the MTR was going to close at a certain time. Some of these students would not be able to go home. We're trying to use wisdom. We still want to do what God has called. We are not going to allow Satan or anyone else to dictate how we ought to live our lives. We allowed his word, what he says, for us to live. So as we stood firm on what we believe, And not allowing fear to control us. Not only is he answering our prayer, we're seeing more local people come in in the last two weeks. And I pray that many of them will get enfolded into our church and be a part of our community. But as more people are getting introduced to our church. I was thinking about this and I said, if we canceled all our life groups, if we canceled everything that we're doing, even church on Sunday. 
which some churches have, and I'm not going to judge them, but I'm just simply saying if we were to cancel church, cancel life group, cancel all our meetings, listen to me, then where would these people find hope? The bottom line is this, that sometimes in the most fearful situation is some of the greatest opportunities to live out the gospel. And we forget that because we're so concerned about ourselves. We think about ourselves instead of thinking about who are the lost people, who are people we can serve, who are people that we can love. How can we reach out to them? I'm wondering if some of us had that kind of mindset that we might stick around a little bit longer so we could still serve and reach out to those people who are afraid. That doesn't mean that you're not afraid. We're all afraid. That's what courage is. Courage is not the absence of fear, but in the midst of fear, you do the right thing. That's courageous. That's boldness. Not when you're beating your chest and say, look at me, I'm so cool. It's when you're still afraid, but you say, God is greater than my fear. My life is in his hands. I am immortal until I have done everything that God has called me to do. To then go boldly, not only by yourself, but with a group of people who love Jesus, who want to see lost people come to know him. To live out your faith. And to be able to see many of these people come to Jesus Christ. I'm going to say this right now, and I... I, I I just feel convicted. I believe in the next couple of years, because of the decisions we've made in the last several months, we're going to see many more people come to know Jesus Christ. We're going to, it's not just from one nation. We're going to see a lot of people from local Hong Kong, here in Hong Kong, come to know Jesus Christ. I believe that. So if you have some Hong Kong people who do not know Jesus Christ, I'm telling you right now, because of the decisions we have made, the things that we have done in faith, not in fear that God's going to use it for his glory. That's why I want to just encourage you. Sometimes one of the best things you can do is just learn how to think outside of yourself. And fear will be gone. You don't have time to be fearful. Corey Ten Boon, she said this, I pray to dispel my fear until suddenly I do not know how the ideal came to me. I began to pray for others. I pray for everyone who came into my thoughts, people with whom I have traveled, those who have been in prison with me, my school friends of years ago. I do not know how long I continued my prayer, but this I do know, my fear was gone. Interceding for others had released me. To learn how to think outside of yourself, to pray for other people, not just for yourself, but to pray for other people, then your whole orientation in your mind begins to shift. And no longer do you see situations as fearful, but you see it as opportunity. Opportunity to serve, an opportunity to love, an opportunity to share the gospel. How about us this morning? When we are overcome with fear, what do you do? What kind of person do you want to become? As a Christ follower. Those who run away from great opportunities because we're controlled by fear. Or to trust in God and live by faith and to obey. The second point is much shorter. But I, wanna, I want us to just pause here for a moment. I don't want any of us to feel 
especially if you have friends who went back home, to make them feel any less of a second-class citizen or feel like a second-class citizen or they're just government. Because like I said, some of them I had conversations with and they were in extreme circumstances where they had to go back. Therefore, this is not a blanket statement. I understand that everyone is in different situations. And even now, some of you have stuck around as long as you can, and next week or even this coming week, you're going to have to go home now. So it's understandable. So I want to challenge us not to kind of, those of us who are here, to think that we're better than somebody else, but we need to see it as the, that's the grace of God. The second point, as I close out here, is this, that God gives us not only an assurance, but he gives us his affirmation. Look at verse 15 through 20 as we close here. Listen to what it says. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it has been told them. It is amazing just seeing how the shepherds quickly decided to go see the baby. Like that to me is just amazing where they see this prophetic vision and the angel came and all of a sudden they go, hey guys, let's actually go and do what we've been told. And then they found Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus and they testified to what they experienced with the angel. Can you imagine what these shepherds must have felt when they actually saw what was spoken to them about, you know, what, what the angels told them they actually saw it? It was a clear affirmation that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. Like whenever you read scripture and you see this and then you live it out and you obey and you see it affirmed in your life, it's a very powerful thing. That's why in verse 17 in the message translation it says this, seeing was believing. Come on, everyone read together. They told everyone they met what the angels had said about this child. The NIV, read it in the yellow. It says this, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. So can you imagine? You see this incredible vision. You see this choir singing, and then you start talking to one. Let's actually go to Bethlehem and check this out. They go there, and they realize everything that God said through the angel, it was true. And as they saw this, what did they do? They told everyone that they met that they spread the word. Something about God affirming the very thing that he's doing that gives you courage. There are times when you might do something, you're like, is it really worth it? Do I really see fruits from this? Sometimes it's easy to just say, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. But then when God is true to his word and he affirms those things that he has already spoken to you, you know what it does? It gives you this boost of energy just to say, God, I know you're calling me. I know this is what you want me to do. And he just affirms you in little ways, sometimes big ways, but little ways as you keep your spiritual eyes open, you will see that God is working in your life. When the people heard the shepherd in verse 18, it says, they wondered. Everyone say wondered. 
that word is translated, when you study that word, it can be translated as astonished, impressed, marveled, and amazed. You see these words when Jesus performed miracles. They were astonished. They were amazed. They marveled at it. They were so blown away. Then the shepherds went back, and they were what? Glorifying and praising God for they had heard, for everything they had heard and seen. That's the beautiful thing about God is that he's always in the affirmation business. Because when he's able to affirm those things that he has already said and those things that he's doing in our lives, it encourages us no matter what we're facing in our lives. This is the reason why the hope that we have in Jesus is greater than any fear that we're experiencing in our lives. That's why, once again, the one thing is that God is always faithful even when we're fearful. He's always faithful to his word. He's faithful to who he is in his character. He will not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what are some quick next steps as we think about this? Uh, I know some of you have been informed that we're going to be doing something special this coming Tuesday. And I want to just take this time to explain it as clearly as I can so that every single one of us in this room can participate. And that's my heart's desire. I want to see every single one of you participate. Uh, regardless of what you commit to, let's at least say these are the next steps that I want to take. When we think about the situation in Hong Kong right now, I realize there, there, there's a strong need for a couple things. First of all, as I shared it in the stories that I shared, I think the first thing is we just need a greater conviction in why we do what we do. Every single one of us in this room, we just need to have a stronger conviction in terms of why we do what we do. Why do we still meet on Sundays? Why do we still try to have life group? Why do we still on Friday night hang out or do other things? Why do we still do these accountability groups called LCG? Why do we do all these things? If some of you don't have a conviction and your only conviction is, well, because my leader told me to, or this is all I know. That's not good enough. You have to know why you do what you do. You have to understand it so clearly because without that conviction, at the first sign of difficulty or hardship, you will flee. You will then just drop everything. You will then be like, oh, my God, I'm so afraid. I don't want to do it. So get a greater conviction of why you do what you do. The second thing that I want to kind of encourage you with is we need to have a greater compassion to actually look at the city with God's eyes and start serving it with God's love. Like if we do not have this kind of compassion that should come from the gospel because God reached out to us and therefore we want to reach out to as many people as possible. Jesus gave his life so that we can come to know him. What are we giving up? So that people can experience the love of Jesus Christ. So as we were kind of thinking through this and praying through this, like we, we need this greater conviction. We need this greater compassion. And so we realize how does that kind of live out in our context? And it's simply this. We really need to ask God to strengthen our church and so that we can then serve our city. Those are the two things. We got to strengthen our church. And then we have to start serving the city. Now the question becomes, how do we strengthen our church? Well, can I encourage us? Everything we're doing now, meeting together. Some of you guys get together one-on-one -on -one for coffee. Uh, just
just going out to life group and supporting that as best as you can. Like all those things are strengthening the church. Also, when I think about strengthening the church, I'm thinking about a church that's fully resourced. What does that mean? The reason why sometimes we're not able to even go further in terms of reaching more people with the gospel message is because we are limited oftentimes by resources. To be a strong church, not only do you have to go deep spiritually and raise up people who are willing to lay down their lives for the gospel, but we need to strengthen our church by raising up people as they experience the gospel because the gospel is all about a life of generosity. God so loved the world that he what? That he gave. That he gave. He gave us his best. He gave us his one and only son. And if we want to be a church that's strong, then we have to reflect that in how we live our lives. That means sometimes you're busy. You can watch a Netflix show. You can just kind of do nothing and just waste your time. Or I'm going to say, God, I want to use my time to be able to bless somebody. Some of you have talents and gifts to be able to use some of that to say, how can I, in this situation, use these gifts to bless people? Some of you, and all of us, I would say, some have a little bit more than other, you are blessed with resources, with finances, to be able to bless people. So when I think about a strong church, we have to be a church that has people that are willing to lay down their life for the gospel, and as they experience the gospel, they will express that with a heart of generosity. We want to be a fully resourced church to do what God has called us to do. And as you can tell from the different updates that we give you, from our financial status, everything, and where people are, I'm realizing, God, I would love to see our church stronger and to go deeper. Then the question is, well, Pastor, how, do we, how are we going to serve the church or serve the, the, the city? And as I'm thinking about this, I realize there are so many opportunities right now. Like part of me, I wanted to like try to see if we could rally up people and go, but then I, I go to some of these places that are like hot spots, and I realize that might not be very wise. And I know some of you are in the front lines. You guys go to the protests and all that stuff, and I respect you for that. But as a church, like I said many times before, we need to stay neutral because we have people from the other side as well. But whenever there's injustice on any side, we need to speak up on it because it's against Scripture. And so as I was thinking, what can we do? And I was just thinking about, like, there were a bunch of people who actually started cleaning up right around the, uh, the hung hum, that tunnel there. Uh, and I, I was just really inspired by that. Wow, these people are just, like, trying to clean up and in the midst of all the chaos and everything that was going on. And I was thinking, maybe we can do that. But then, once again, I'm thinking, okay, how is that going to all work out? Should we just do a life group? And then I was thinking, wow, when you think about some of these campuses, um, I, I just walked by PolyU, and I just saw some of the burnt-out stuff. Um, sometimes when I was in a taxi, I could just look at all the stuff, that, all these umbrellas that's everywhere. Look at the news, you see all these petrol bombs that were unused. And I was just thinking to myself, what would a church be like if they were to really genuinely serve this city or serve a campus and all i can say is no we still need to pray but i believe the answers are right here in this room can i get a good amen to that it's right here in this room 
And I know one of the un university campuses, one of the life groups, they went on campus and they were giving out water and water. Or they were just talking with people, having conversations. And I was thinking, maybe we can do that. If we are a fully resourced church, maybe we could take some of the resources and to be able to kind of empower some of you to go to your universities, to go to different parts of the city, those of you who are working in the workplace, to go to some of these places and to share and demonstrate the love of God. What would that be like? Also, you heard this morning in the announcements that we have this thing called gift of love. And one of the things that I, I feel like it's a greater burden, even as I was talking to those people who are working at Christian Action, is that there's a large refugee population in our city that many people don't know about. And so I was thinking because they're in a situation where they can't really do much because of their status. Like a lot of them struggle through in trying to live here in Hong Kong. And they're stuck. And, they're, you know, and a lot of times it's easy to lose hope. And that's why this gift of love that we're doing is that we're going to try to sponsor about um, 30 refugee families. And what I mean by sponsor is just to bless them during the Christmas season. I was thinking that's just one way to serve. A group of people that don't know Jesus Christ, and some of them do, some of them are believers because churches are reaching out to them. I was thinking what, how exciting that will be. There's a whole population of domestic helpers. There's so many different people. I, I don't know why, but I've seen more in the last five-some days, more of those people who are cutting out the cardboard boxes. You guys know what I'm talking about? Uh, some of the older folks. And I was thinking that's a whole different people group. And I'm realizing and I'm, I'm awakening in the midst of everything that's going on. It's kind of like all the stuff is surfacing up. You're seeing more and more groups of people that we didn't even think about. And I'm like, how can we serve the city? And I'm praying that we as a church will be fully resourced so that we can actually reach out to different sectors of society. We can't do everything. We're just one church. But we could do something. Amen? We could do something. We can't do everything. But let's do something. And so that's why this coming Tuesday, those of you who might not be familiar with this, it's called Giving Tuesday. Just a little history, back in 2012, it got started because in America, after Thanksgiving, Friday is called Black Friday because it is the, the greatest one-day shopping day throughout the whole year. If you want to see something that's equivalent, it will be like Singles Day here in Asia, November 11th. So it's very similar. A lot of shopping going on. And people shop for Christmas, for other people. They shop for themselves. And then several years later, they came up with this thing called Cyber Monday. So then on Monday, you get to buy all this online stuff and electronic equipment. And everything goes on sale. So people are spending. And so what happened was as people are spending on themselves on Friday and then on Monday, the question became, why don't we have a day of 24 hours to be able to give to different organizations, nonprofit, where there's churches, where there's other places where they're trying to reach out and do good. And so now, 12 years ago, or excuse me, seven years ago, it got started simply called Giving Tuesday. So this coming Tuesday is hashtag Giving Tuesday, which first it was in the States, but then after several years, it just went global. So now all over the world, people are looking at this Tuesday after Thanksgiving time to be able to say, you know what? I don't want to keep on spending stuff for myself. I want to learn how to be generous. I want to be able to give. Now, this is the thing. Not everyone is a believer, but they're generous. 
I was thinking how much more as Christians, as Christ followers, we need to be generous. And so I, as I was thinking about this, because in my email, I was getting all these like Cyber Monday, Black Friday sale. And I'm like, oh, I delete, delete, delete. And then the Giving Tuesday, I'm like, oh, Giving Tuesday. And I began to look at some of these different ministries that I'm familiar with. And I'm like, oh, they're trying to make an impact in these different areas. And so then I was thinking, why don't we do it as a church? To be able to strengthen our church, to be fully resourced, then also to serve our city, to find ways that in the midst of everything that's going on, that we could be a, a light, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And that's why what we have decided to do is that this coming Tuesday, we're asking everyone to be able to participate with us and to give. Now, please listen to me very carefully. We're not shooting for a certain target amount. Because I think sometimes that could fuel different things that we don't want to fuel. What I'm looking for is a high number of participation in our church. Why is that important? Because that means that every single one of us, we're buying into the vision to strengthen our church and to serve our city. And we're saying, Pastor, we want to do this all together. And so I'm not going to tell you how much to give. That's what God will convict you and speak to you. Some of you might only can give 50 Hong Kong dollars, and that's fine. Some of you might be able to give 500 Hong Kong dollars, 5,000. I don't know. Just as the Holy Spirit speaks to you, we want you to give. So this is what we're going to do. Instead of waiting till Tuesday, because you heard this message, and I want this to be fresh in your hearts and in your minds, we're going to ask you right now to make a pledge. Now, listen to me carefully with this next step. When I say to make a pledge, what you're saying is this. Holy Spirit, I want to be a generous person. As I think about my life and how sometimes I'm dictated by fear. But you have assured me through your word. And you have also affirmed those things that are true, not only in my life, but in our church. I want to be a part of something that's greater than myself. And so we're going to ask you to make a pledge of what you're going to give on Tuesday. So the best way we're going to do it is right now, if you look up here. So we have two days, 12 hours, and five minutes, and 49 seconds. I'm just guessing 49 seconds. Anyway, we have two days, 12 hours, and five minutes left. And so if you go on our website, you will see this. So right after this, we're going to ask you to click on I want to give. And when you kick, click on to I want to give, there's going to be this form. Now, listen, and I need to explain why we're doing this. The reason why we're doing this is because we want to be able to say, hey, it looks like this many people are going to pledge this much, which will give us this much total. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to get 100% of it. I hope we will because we want to be true to our word. But by doing this, what we can do then is send you an email to let you know today is Giving Tuesday. Please fulfill what it is that you promised and you pledged to give. And so if you look at it, we also want you to click on your life group that you're a part of. Now, we're not going to have a contest. Oh, my God, that one life group, no one gave. Ha, ha, ha. We're not doing that. Our goal is to bring up in group accountability to say hey we only had three people giving in our life come on guys let's be generous let's let's do this 
So it's more of a rally cry to help you, to help all of us to say, let's all participate as best as we can. Those of us who will hear this sermon later or are watching online right now, we want you to participate as well. So if you can quickly just go into our website. Do we have a QR code? Okay, let's, you could just uh, copy this. Or you could get onto our website, hmcc.net. And I'm going to give you a couple minutes to actually fill out this form. And will you just for a moment just really ask God, Lord, how can I strengthen the church and serve the city? And whatever God is placing in your heart, I want you to pledge to say, I'm going to give this much on Tuesday. Like I said, some of you cannot give that much. But every giving counts for the greater picture. Now, some of you are like, well, how are we going to, how, is there going to be any, of course. Once we get the total, the final total, what we'll do is we'll announce it on church. And also probably let your life groups know so you know how much we have. We will also, once we get it, and we're going to ask you to assign where you want to give it. So we're not trying to dictate how we're going to use this. We're letting you decide. So if some of you want to give to strengthening our church to be fully resourced, as you know, we're still trying to catch up financially throughout the, for the rest of this year. Also, we're talking about there are some ministry teams that we said, no, you cannot purchase that because our budget is where it is. So we're going to just try to see if we can operate on minimum. But if you want to be a fully resourced church to be able to have and do the things that we're called to do, then we need people to give to that. Some of you might feel more compelled to give that resource to reach out to, whether it's a refugee family, maybe to reach out to different campuses. And so what we'll do is once we get the total, we'll tell you how those resources are being used. We want to be accountable to you so that you guys know that it's not just used for some random stuff, but it's going to be used for the exact thing that I've been describing here. So if you're going to put it into, or you could do both and say, I want to give this much here and this much here. So just kind of write that out so we can uh, distinguish that. But I want to encourage us to at least fill this out. So once again, if you can go back, um, the form, and what you will see. Once you get this form, we're asking for the email address, how much you would like to give on this Giving Tuesday, and then would you like to participate, strengthening our church, serving our city? I don't know if you could click the both. Can we click the both or no? Is it just, I think you could click both. So if you want to give to both, right? And then any missional initiatives you would like to see in the future. So what we're saying is this. I only thought of like a couple. Some of you are on the ground and you're interacting with people in the city and you're like, you know what, Pastor, if we can give some of our resources to this, it's going to be awesome. So give us your missional initiatives. Give us some things that you feel like we're not aware of and you feel like it will be a great cause for us to participate. Because we want to be able to use this Tuesday as it's a global thing to get, garner the resources and then distribute it appropriately so that all of our resources can be used for the glory of God. And then, so the mission initiative, and then finish the sentence, I am giving because, and the reason why we're asking you to do this is because we want to be able to anonymously write down some testimonies. We want this to be something that we can spur other people to give. I'm even hoping and praying those outside of Hong Kong. There are a lot of people who have been saying, how are things going in Hong Kong? Then I'll be like, hey, on, on Tuesday, there's this thing called Giving Tuesday. Go check out the website. And so 
give to it so we could further reach more people with the gospel message. I want to encourage you to do that. Post something on your social media so that people who are outside of Hong Kong can be like, what's going on with this? And they see what's happening. And so some of them will be compelled to even give because it's Giving Tuesday. And then we ask for your name, your life group, once again, to encourage one another and what country you're part of. Because once again, there might be people who are outside of Hong Kong doing this. All right, can we go ahead and just try to uh, take this time to do this? So pretty much the steps that I want us to think about is we're going to pledge to give, which is today. So fill out that form. That's, that's the next step. Secondly is present your pledge on Tuesday. So that's going to be Giving Tuesday. So you'll get an email reminding you this is the day. So it's going to be online. There's going to be so many different ways. We're going to try to make it as simple as possible. Some of you guys, uh, you can only give in person. So you can give to your life group leaders because uh, we're going to have life group this coming week. Uh, just try to find different ways to be able to, if you cannot give online. And then lastly, pray for our church and the city. So in about a minute, as you guys are filling this out, like I said, I think one part that if you can fill it out would be really helpful is I'm giving because. And to just fill it out in one sentence, two sentences, really quick, so that as we kind of post some of these testimonies, we're not going to put your name or anything on it, as we just post some of these testimonies, that I pray that it will really spur on just a greater heart of not only generosity, but in difficult times, in fearful times, that we can respond to the gospel message. As you're filling that out, I want to close with this one video that I think will remind us why we need to have Christians who are going through the most dangerous places, the difficult places, and not shy away from it because we are certain that God is with us on this journey. I want us to just watch this as some of you are closing out and writing down how much you are pledging to give. I want you to be challenged to say, am I living my life in this way? Because Christian life is not meant for us to just be comfortable. It is meant so that we can live our lives for others. That is the life that I'm telling you that you will find a greater sense of fulfillment. If you will stop focusing on yourself and start focusing on God and his mission and participate in that. Whether it's going to your workplace, going to your neighborhoods, going to your dorm rooms, wherever it is you're going is, you go there. And not only do you go physically, but also to be able to give generously. Give through your time in prayer. Give through your resources. Maybe fast one day. Or don't drink coffee that day or a latte that day. And even though it's, you might feel like it's a small amount, but everything counts so that we can advance the kingdom of God for the glory of God. So with that, let's watch this and then we'll close out. Let's stand together, shall we, as we close. I just want to remind all of you if there's anything good that happens in your life or in our church, our community it's because someone sacrificed don't ever forget that I think about why Korea next to the United States have sent thousands of missionaries around the world. I actually went to a cemetery in Korea, which is known as the Martyrs 
cemetery. Because in the late 1800s, there were a handful of people who sacrificed their lives to bring the gospel to Korea. And that's why right now in Korea, in the Presbyterian Church, Methodist Church, all these churches, they're the largest churches in the world because of these American missionaries who laid down their lives. The reason why we still have church in China, and many of them are underground, is because there were people before the Cultural Revolution and even after the Cultural Revolution who gave their lives to preach the gospel. The reason why that we have this church is because there were some people before you that sacrificed, gave up their lives, gave up their six-digit figure USD, gave all that up to come here so we can start this church. Don't ever forget that. Things just don't happen. People have to lay down their lives. That's why John chapter 12 verse 24 talks about that. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it just becomes one seed. But when it dies, it produces a fruit many times over. And I pray that you will be like that seed that will die and fall to the ground and lay down the foundation for the future generations. That means that we need to count the cost. That means that we have to think, God, you have blessed me so much. How can I be faithful in my giving of my time, my talent, and my treasure? I pray that as we close out here, as you can tell, we're going to take communion. It's that it will remind us of the greatest sacrifice, Jesus Christ. That's why we could even worship like this. Some of you come from Buddhist backgrounds. Some of you guys didn't even know Jesus Christ. But because of what God has done for us, here we are, freely worshiping. I pray that it will stir you, it will move you to live your life in such a way for the glory of God. Lord, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus. For every single one of us, that as we participate in this Giving Tuesday, that God, that your Holy Spirit will convict us. And we know that you are faithful, even though we are fearful. So I pray that you will reassure us, not only with your word, but you affirm those things by the things that you have already done and you will continue to do and that we will live according to those things by your grace so come and we pray that you will speak to us help us to respond in light of who you are we're going to prepare the Lord's table and as we close out here we want you to be able to participate but let me be very clear. If you have never made a decision to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we're going to ask you to not take the communion. And it's okay. 
just let, let, let the elements go by. But those of you who are believers, uh, we, we want you to participate. And the Bible is very clear. If you are not a believer, to refrain from it. But if you are, then we need to confess our sins. And so that we take this with the heart that remembers the cross of what Christ has done for us. But here's the good news. Some of you who have been coming out to church, you've been coming out to life group week after week. Maybe today, if the Holy Spirit spoke to you, that you could actually take the step of faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. All you have to do is say that simple prayer, Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner, that I need you. I cannot live this life on my own. And I believe by faith that you sent your one and only son, Jesus Christ, to come and die for me on the cross. And now I commit my life to living and serving you for the rest of my life. If you say that prayer, the Bible tells us if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that you will be saved. And today you can participate in communion with us. And just let someone know that you made that decision. So can we just take this time and just prepare our hearts as we prepare the table? so that we can take this together with a thankful heart, okay? Let's, I want to give you about a couple minutes to do that, okay? Let's do that right now. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.